Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about stripping the layers of trauma so that you can live an authentic, joyful, purpose-driven life. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Ari Gronich, the performance therapist. Ari is one of the most sought-after therapists and trainers for elite athletes and corporate culture and wellness. He is also an international keynote speaker, host of the podcast Create a New Tomorrow, and the founder and CEO of Achieve Health USA. You can reach Ari at his website, createanewtomorrow.com, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Ari. I am so excited for our conversation. I heard you speak on another podcast, and I loved it so much that I went back and listened to it a second time. Your message just resonated with me, and I am so excited to be learning more from you today. Thank you so much. I absolutely appreciate it. It's it's my honor to be here. Oh, man, I'm excited. Okay, can we start? You have kind of a unique medical history. Would you mind starting with that story? Yeah. So at seven years old, on my seventh birthday, I started getting migraines and hot flashes and showing signs and symptoms of basically of menopause. Um, By the time I was supposed to go through puberty, I wasn't. And so I had to be injected with testosterone uh, because I wasn't producing any. They didn't know why. They just were treating symptoms. Um, And so by the time I was 14, breast reduction surgery. Um, At the same time as I'm going through this, my parents are in Amway. So I'm getting involved in herbs and learning about herbs and nutrition and vitamins and things like that at a young age. Um, and so I was always interested in alternative health. Um, I had been going to chiropractors. I was a gymnast and athlete. So um, I was always going to chiropractors and massage therapists and doing that as well. So I was in the medical system on one side, on the alternative health side on the other. And, um, and I was young enough to not know what was going on. Um, by the time I was 18, I was taking a homeopathic remedy that, uh, a naturopath had prescribed and it was a uh, snake venom. And my parents for graduation from high school wanted to take me whitewater rafting. So, this day started very early in the morning, very little sleep. Um, we went on the trek to get down to go whitewater rafting. And so I was drinking caffeine to wake up. I did not know that caffeine is not supposed to be had with snake venom. Um, during the whitewater rafting trip, I was taking a lot of them because my allergies were going crazy. And I ended up getting heat stroke, sunstroke, a combination of the caffeine and the snake venom. All these things kind of combined into a perfect storm. I went into anaphylactic shock. And um, by the time I got to the hospital, I was gone. So 26 minutes before they got me back. Um, I did not see any tunnels or any lights or anything like that. I was just gone and then back. Um, but about three days later, I sat up in the hospital bed and I said, I think I need to become a healer. 
And that's kind of how I got started in this work. Wow. That is a very unique story. Okay. So did they ever figure out what the issue was with the, 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 the menopause? Yeah, so and- at 24, they found through an MRI a prolactinoma, what they call a prolactinoma. It's a pituitary tumor. Uh, that is benign, that hormone, that secretes hormones. Basically, it secretes prolactin, which for women, um, is what allows breast milk. Um, for men, it actually grows breast tissue. It lowers testosterone. It cuts libido. It can affect, um, your, um, ability to have kids. I was told since I was 12 that I couldn't have kids. Um, and so, Funny enough, at 38 or so, um, I now have an eight-year-old, so I'm going back what age that was, but um, a miracle had happened. Um, but that was literally, I'd been told all my life, couldn't have kids, um, had to be, like I said, injected into puberty. So it affects my hormonal system. I produce almost no testosterone, a lot of estrogen. Um no growth hormone, no glutathione. Uh, so my system needs a lot of intervention from different angles. And basically, very few people know what to do with me. I've, I've been considered a medical ministry my entire life, and we're still trying to figure me out. Wow. So as you're telling your story, and my guess with my limited medical knowledge was the pituitary... My daughter also has a tumor on her uh, pituitary, and um, she had surgery, things were removed, but um, it has messed with her so bad. She has gone through menopause, then they gave her, you know, meds, and now she, when she went through puberty, she actually grew another inch, and now she's going back. It's, 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 it is a disaster, and the way that, that she's been to so many doctors, and they say, you are a unicorn. You don't exist I mean, there are problems that you're having that nobody else has. So now we have two unicorns. And she was recently told, she has two beautiful children, but she was told, you, you're you done. You can't have any more. You were messed up. Okay. So, wow. What a background. I'm curious about the snake venom. What, what was that supposed to do? Uh, you have a myriad of um, symptoms that you go to somebody with and they intuit or muscle test or go to their book of, you know, there's a book of homeopathy about that big and they go to it and follow the things and they go, Oh, this is the one that you need. And so that was how I got that particular one. I mean, so many people have done homeopathics in so many different ways over the course of my now 27 years in this career and field. Um, that it's, it's a fascinating art form, but, uh, how, how one gets to those that there's, there's so much information in homeopathy. It's, it's, it is a, a doctorate study. Is that one of the modalities that you include? I love your broad, broad, open mind approach. And as you kind of share your story and, and the experiences that you had working with this and working with that, I can kind of see how that maybe opened your mind a little bit. Do you want to explain what what you have used to study and what things you have brought in and, and how that adds to your ability as a healer? 
So my goal, remember, was to be, I like, I, I need to become a healer. I sent my uh, letters out to 28 schools. I figured massage would be the great, the first place to start. Hands on. I was always good with my hands. Um, and so I figured that would be perfect place to start. And so I sent out 28 letters. Um, I picked one that came back to me and I went there and that was the one that that was just the place that I was going to go. The owner did not know how to run a school at all. Um, but she had been a therapist for over 40 years and she knew everybody in the industry. She was just, uh, I mean, amazingly connected in the industry. And so she would fly out instructors to do intensives with us. And so we would learn from Ida Rolf and then we would learn from a chiropractic instructor at Logan or one at Palmer. We would, you know, she would fly in. We'd had, we had um, somebody come in and do Lomi Lomi instruction. We did so many different things. Um, but the, the teachers that ended up coming, uh, two of them were amazing. One was uh, one of the top kinesiologists in Holland. And she came and we learned all of our kinesiology from her. Um, and then her partner was like an x-ray technician for 20 some odd years turned healer. And he ended up teaching us a myriad of energetic healing modalities, including one called I am, or I acknowledge myself, which basically is like, you have a headache. If you're walking through a mall and all of a sudden you get a headache, is that your headache or is it somebody else's that you picked up? How do you know if it's yours or not? And so this was a way to, to know if what you're picking up is your energy or somebody else's, and if it's somebody else's, you can let it go and not have to suffer their pain, so to speak. That's uh, crazy sauce. That's awesome. So um, after that, we went like my third month in the school. Um, our school backed up to the campus of Intel, Nike, and Tektronics in Beaverton, Oregon. And so. We, I was running the clinic by the third month of the school, and I needed to have more clients for the clinic. So instead of having clients come to us, we went to them. And what I didn't realize, it was three of the first corporate wellness programs in the country. And uh, so that was really fascinating. Um, by my sixth month in the school, we went and did a health expo. And Richard Simmons was there. So I got to work on Richard Simmons, uh, Victoria Jackson, who was an ESPN fitness model. I got to work on her at, uh, at this event. And then a couple ball players came in and, um, I worked on them and they had a game that night and they had me come. And during the practice, somebody tripped. I ran out on the field, like, you know, like I would do just instinctually. And I ended up with that team as an intern for a year. So by my third year of, uh, of practice and schooling, I had over 5,000 hours of 
internships and credits and, um, and three years of practice. I mean, so. Wow. Interesting how I went about it. I went about school the way my brother went about his college. You know, he was a triple major, double minor in four years, master's in one. Whoa. And kind of did the same thing. I, I, I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could to be able to make it so that I could heal myself so that I can then affect so many other people. Um, unfortunately, when you do that, you kind of forget that you're the first person and you end up just focusing on everybody else. And so that happens too. Oh, darn it. It's easy, unfortunately, to forget ourselves that we need to come in first. Now, you talked about the um, when you were working on your, your backyard neighbors here, these incredible businesses, and how you explained this, this energy type of work to engineers in a way that they could understand. Do you want to explain that? Yeah. So I was studying Reiki, and this is back when Reiki was very new. Um, it was $10,000 to uh, get a master's in Reiki back then. It was, it was a very respected kind of an art form, um, a little bit different today. It's, it's more widely known, but it's also like you could get, um, Reiki attuned online by putting your hand on a bunch of symbols. You know, it, it's an interesting day and age <laughs> compared to 27 years ago. Um, when I, when I started, but, um, so, I had been studying Reiki and I was doing some work on a, on a gentleman at Tectonics and, um, they had to plug me in, uh, ground me is what they do is they plug you in. So they put, uh, either a wristband that plugs into an outlet or something that connects to metal. So you're grounded, um, because you're around all these electronics and they don't want any static, right? But if I was working, I had to be double plugged in. So my ankle and my hand had to be plugged in because if they would walk by me with boards, I might short them out while I was working on people. And so one of the engineers, he was in his sixties, asked me about energy work, this thing. What is, what is it? Cause you know, he could understand that I was blowing out boards and he could understand magnetic and static electricity and energy. And so he was asking like, what is it? And so I, I had to think about it for a while and try to figure out what language, you know, I'm 18 years old. What language do I use to talk to this very brilliant engineer, right? Who's much older than I and and to explain this kind of thing. And so I had to figure out what language to speak that he would understand. So one of the things that I had learned a lot about is infrared heat. And infrared heat is like an infrared sauna. Um, but our hands, palms of our hands, the base, bottoms of our feet, our el elbows here, insides of our joints, they produce a lot of far infrared wavelength heat. So when you put your hand on somebody over them 
or on them, you're emitting this wavelength of energy. So we can measure that. And so I, I said, we can measure that, right? Yes, we can measure that. We can, we can look at that. So, and we know that that wavelength enters the body approximately two to three inches into the body. Yes, we could measure that. That's something that we know. Okay, so if I put my hand and I'm emitting this wavelength and it's hitting two to three inches in your body, that's around where your organs are, where you're, you know, um, what is it doing? It's causing inflammation or heat to build up. What does inflammation do? It causes your system, your brain, your nervous system to start sending, sending signals. I want to have some painkillers in that area. We want to see what's going on. So we need some exploratory cells, you know. So your body starts this physical chain reaction to find out why the heat is in your body. Okay. So this is how energy work works. And he looked at me like, I can understand that. I could get that. I, I could hear that. And, and that makes sense, right? He wanted it to make sense. But I've never heard anybody ever explain energy work like that. And I still haven't heard anybody explain energy work like that. But I believe every single thing we do can be traced back to some kind of science. And so... We can figure out if we ask the right question, right? We can figure out the right answer to why is that possible? And that's what, that's what I always felt uh, about this kind of work is you can explain any of it with science. Isn't that fantastic? And I love that. And I can't believe you were only 18 when you were able to come up with this explanation that was satisfying. And it felt like, oh, I can understand that. It's amazing. And I think I love when you talk about that it's all science, but some things have been researched more than others. I right. recently read The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And he is a research scientist and he goes through and, you know, he'll try something, something that'll catch his attention. And it's interesting that those things that catch the attention of the researchers then have the studies and the data to go behind it. It doesn't mean that the other things don't work. It also doesn't mean that every idea works, but, but it just means that these are the things that we've really looked at and have some of that data behind. And I think it's wonderful that the research is becoming more, a little more open-minded in some of the things that they're looking at. And I'm excited that it's going that direction. And I love that you are able to explain this in scientific terms. I was thinking about Max Planck, who won the Nobel Prize in 1918 for his pioneering efforts in um, quantum physics. And he said, I am a scientist and I have dedicated my life to understanding matter. And when you look deeply, he said, it doesn't exist. It's energy. And, and here is this super, super smart guy and it's like, I can't even explain it. I can kind of, you know, you get to a point where it's like, I, I can't explain it anymore, but it works. Right. So that There's whole idea. A saying that I love, um, man asks God to explain to him the wonders of the universe. And God says, 
in reply. If I were to explain to you the wonders of an apple seed, it would be more than you could ever fathom. And that was his response. We have no idea what we know and what we don't know. All I know is what I can explain in some sort of terms that make sense to me. And hopefully they start making sense to other people. Um, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the, in the conversation that you heard is about trauma and that trauma does not speak English. And I explain this for a very specific reason. And, and that is because when you're talking to trauma, all you can possibly do is understand it or and add to it. Wait, wait, wait. So Will you I, repeat that? All you, would you talk to trauma? Are we talking English? Yeah, when you talk English to trauma. Okay, okay. So I'm speaking English to trauma, meaning yeah. I'm trying to talk it out. Is that what we're talking about? Behaviorally understand it. So okay, okay. we're talking mostly the talk therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy, these kinds of things that we've been doing for a hundred years. Okay, okay, to okay. Trauma. Okay, so if I do that, then my result is going to be one of two things. What was it? What was it you said? Understanding, making it worse. Yeah, you're going to understand it, and or you're going to make it worse. Hmm. I choose not option B. If you're, if you're if you're understanding it, here's what you're doing. You're trying to create a strategy in your logical mind to disable it. Okay, you're not curing it. You're not dismissing it. You're not leaving it away. You're trying to deal with it in a logical way. So for instance, I'm smoking cigarettes, right? And I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes. So what do I do in response? I chew gum, right? Okay. Now something happens, stress hits, whatever, something happens. All of a sudden that gum is not going to do it anymore. You go back into reptilian brain, boom. You're not in thought. You're not in your logical brain, so you're not going to just chew the gum. You're going to go back into, I need a cigarette right now. And you go back to the same old behavior that you were doing before. Or you could say, I understand warning label on that cigarette pack, but I'm going to just smoke my four packs a day anyway. And it's like a, a, a rebellious nature to... <laughs> the knowledge of what you're talking about, you know, of it. So that's where I, I say you could kind of make it worse by, by talking about it and bringing it up over and over and over again. It's like, okay, why are you going to relive it? You already know what happened. You know, it existed. You are cognitively behaviorally aware of it. You know, your trauma, but you can't get through actions that are different than what your trauma allows you to do. Why not? Trauma doesn't speak English. Okay. Trauma speaks the language of touch, of vibration, sound, movement, motion, right? Emotion, energy in motion. Everything has to have movement and vibration and sound to it. That's what trauma is. You get hit in the, you know, gut, proverbial, it's, uh, it's a movement with a sound, right? It's not a language. Right. So, I don't think I could spell that. So right. if we're going to go to a place where we're, we're not just going to talk about it, we want to heal from this trauma. 
So what kinds of, of actions can we take to be able to heal? Right. So somatic trauma requires somatic responses and trauma does not happen in a bubble, meaning it doesn't happen alone. Typically, you're not the one causing trauma to yourself until you've had enough of it that your brain just starts looping the patterns, right? So you need to have experiences that are safe, right? So if, if you have a trouble being seen or being heard, let's just say, let's just call it for business, right? You have trouble being seen or heard because you were told as a child, children should be, you know, should be seen, seen or, and you not know, heard. Not seen out of the way, they're put in a separate place. So, so you're having this uh, memory of, uh, I've always been told to, to not be heard, right? So then if you're a business owner, how are you going to go onto video and do the things that nowadays you need to do in order to be heard, in order for your product or your service to get sold? You're going to have a fear of it. You're going to... Uh, I, I have other ways you're going to have some kind of thing. If you do one of these 30 day challenges though, and just force yourself into it in a safe place where you have a whole bunch of people who are congratulating you and loving you about your message and all those things. Now you've created 30 separate occurrences that prove the opposite of what you originally thought of what your trauma assumed, right? So your somatic responses have changed because you've done something with people that have then rewarded you for it, right? Safety and reoccurred, right, uh, condition. On another note, what's more difficult is with things like sexual trauma because going through sexual experiences with somebody who's safe, you know, who and understand your experiences, who's there for you, listening, waiting, wondering, what, you know, hoping to make your experience different. That's like really, really important, right? But finding that person and knowing that that's what you need is really, really hard also. So, you know, th there's so many ways to heal trauma, primal screaming, rebirthing and breath work. You know, you, you can't breathe consciously in the past or in the future. It has to happen in the present. You can't consciously breathe in the pre present without being in the present. Without saying, I'm going to breathe consciously now. <sighs> right? So breath work brings you back to the present so you can process through those things. You know, having somebody who's a trigger for you is a really good idea. Somebody really? Who triggers and pushes your buttons all over the place. It's a really good idea because what are they pushing? Whose buttons are they pushing? Yours. Right. Where did you get them? And that's where you have to go back to. Right. Where did you get them? Why talk about it? Why re why relive it? Why not just go, okay, that's triggering me. Holy shit. What sound do I want to make? <laughs> like, let me get out the energy of my body what it really sounds like, what it really looks like, right? What it moves like. How does that move? That moves. Well, there's so many ways, but the idea is what does trauma speak? 
Trauma speaks. Movement, vibration, sound. Music is a great way to get it out. Anger music, as well as calming, relaxing music, you know, getting something that makes you more mellow, having the right music for the right situation, but making sure that when you're triggered, you express outwardly the emotion that you're feeling. That's the key. Okay, that is interesting. The present express outwardly the thing that you're feeling. Don't hold it in. Don't suck it down. Don't hold it back, right? Okay, so in the present. So I want to figure out how uh, to, to, like the nuts and bolts, if that makes sense. You're talking about having experiences that are safe. And as I'm trying to uh, wrap my head around that a little bit, part of me is thinking, you know, does that require someone else to be a safe place for me? Because then my power is outside, if that makes sense. I want to be able to, when you talk about breath work, I can breathe all by myself. That doesn't require any assistance. I can do that. Or to listen to music, I can do that by myself. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. And when you say uh, to, to express... Where's the trigger coming from? Where is the trigger coming from? Like where in my body? Yeah, if you're alone, sitting in a room by yourself, where's the trigger coming from that's going to cause you to have any kind of expression at all? Unless you're just watching, you know, Facebook and you're reading posts and stuff and you're okay. alone. And- well, let's say that. Or, or like, you, like a person, like someone who pokes your buttons, someone who triggers you. And how do you find a, a response that's, say, I'm in the grocery store and somebody says something. I mean, I can't really have a temper tantrum in public. What, what, what kinds of things... You can breathe in public. I can breathe. Okay, breathing is good. Right. <laughs> I am allowed to breathe in public. Take really deep breaths. You can breathe as hard as you want, as lightly as you want, as deeply as you want, as shallowly as you want, and over and over again, as rhythmically as you want. You can do that to get out what you're feeling, right? And what if you don't know what you're feeling? You're feeling something, right? Correct. Some motion, some movement, shake your body. What do you, you know, if you're not, you know, just moving something out of me. You don't have to know. It's not about the logic. That's what I'm trying to get, get across is it's not about what's in your brain. Your logic will not help you here. Your brain will not help you in trauma. It is actually the antithesis of helping you. Fascinating express, get it out of your body. Your brain also is not the storage place for your trauma, right? right? It's the processing unit. It's like RAM memory at, at best, okay. automatic response system, RAM memory at best. The soma is where your memory lies. Your body is where memory lies. So that's why you can poke somebody and they'll start crying or you touch somebody on their shoulder and they start crying or, you know, or have a big jump reaction or something else. Cause it, it, you know, the, the, I say crying, my teacher, the kinesiologist from Holland, when she first came to the United States, she um, spent the first few years in Utah and she went to a bar one night, two years into being there. And somebody touched her back and she started to cry because she realized it had been two years since anybody had touched her. 
Wow. Side of her partner, right? And she's used to being in a place in Holland where everybody's touching all the time. It's a very, you know, cuddly community, right? So she hadn't been touched. How many people do you know that haven't been touched in years? Probably a lot. Lovingly just touched on their backs with love. Nothing else. So much trauma can be healed with a touch. So much can be triggered with the word. That's why I say it doesn't speak English, doesn't speak any verbal, you know, languages. And yet words can trigger us. That's, that's so fascinating. So, um, yeah, tell somebody who doesn't feel safe to feel safe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just saying the words is not definitely not going to, going to change that. Tell somebody, um, who's depressed because uh, a relative died recently, right? Ah, don't be depressed. They're in a better place. See how that works for you, right? Not very well. Try sitting with them and just loving on them in their uncomfortability. See, the reason why we do the words thing is because we're so uncomfortable with their pain that we want to fix their pain so that we can get comfortable. Ooh. And that is so freaking damaging. Sitting with somebody in their pain is where it's at. Not trying to get them to move anywhere, do anything, be anyone. Just hear you. I mean, I'm here. I'm here. That's it. I'm here with you. Okay powerful right yes definitely okay you've given me a lot to think about as i try to um it's it's a little different angle than the things that i have heard before and so trying to incorporate how how does that match how does this combine with this when some things seem a little bit paradoxical Right. And, and some things that I believe just are completely outside of the norm. Um, but I watch. I'm a watcher. And I watched. I've watched for 27 years people do the same things and get the same results or no results or crappy results. And it's annoying. It's, it really is just annoying because there's so many people suffering because so many people are so passionately committed to the place that they've been that they're not willing to go to the place that they could be. And so that's in, in their studies, too. If you're really, really a, a cognitive behavioral therapist and you spent 30 years doing it and somebody tells you that that's not working and here's why, and how, how willing are you going to be to listen to change you know, change your, your, your status, your state, right? It's, it's not on the norm. What I'm saying is not something that I've heard many, very many people say in any way. And so um, I would understand very paradoxically, but I'm looking at what works, what works absolutely, what works every single time if it's done correctly, right? And done correctly, there's, um, a myriad of rules that I, I have that 
and I'm adding to them every day because there's always mistakes that get made, right? But the way of being for a practitioner, here's my, my rule. Practitioner, your patient will only heal to the level at which you've allowed yourself to be comfortable healing yourself. So if they have stuff that goes deeper than that, you won't let you won't be comfortable enough to take them there. So you need to do your own dirty work in your in your deep dark shadows, right? So for the therapist, they need to do their own deep shadowy work because otherwise they won't be available for those levels in the people that are coming to them to heal. So that's number one for the practitioner. No agenda, no, no um, barrier or boundary, no agenda to what you're going to do. You're just there. Literally, I'm, I'm like a trigger. Uh, I'm the person who's triggering all of those deep, dark memories, right? And then I'm guiding you to get them out, move the energy out. You have to move the energy out. You can't just trigger and not help them move the energy out, right? So that's one of the things. So I do body work with this kind of trauma work because I'm triggering the body to have the memory of whatever it is that trauma was there. So wherever you stuck your traumas, you know, we know kind of where emotion lies. Uh, Chinese medicine has been pretty clear on that for a long time. Fear and worry is, you know, kidneys. Uh, anger is liver and lungs are the joy of life, breathing in life, you know. So we can see that if you have issues in certain locations, what kind of emotion you might be stuffing there, right? So if you're having issues in your lungs, wouldn't it be a really awesome thing to do some really deep breath work, right, on a regular basis? And get whatever is in your lungs out and emotionally get whatever is stuffing you from having an enjoyment of life, getting that out of you, right? Maybe your lungs will feel better. No. If you're having liver issues, you might want to try getting some of your anger out, doing some anger work, not anger management, by the way. Anger work, go into one of those booths that, you know, have you busting stuff up with a sledgehammer if you need to, or go to classes that, um, that have you moving your body in, in ways that are like high intensity, you know, high intensity interval training is really good for somebody who's got some anger. You've got to move that, that energy out of you. But you've got to do it with purpose, so you're consciously doing that, not just doing the exercise unconsciously. That was going to be my next question. So you're consciously letting whatever it is out, even if you don't know what it is. Even if you don't know what it is, it's anger. I'm I'm just letting anger out. Anger, 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 anger. You know, I have this. I have a friend who's a a life coach, and she has um, she has an awesome technique, and it's like. What do you want more of? Peace. Okay. Peace. So I'm going to just breathe peace. So I'm breathing anger out and I'm breathing peace in, you know, like what, 
what do you want to experience? What do you want to let go of? So I'm feeling a lot of anger towards whatever. I've got to let go of that. It's killing me. It's not doing anything to them, right? That so my thing. mind is involved if there's intention. I mean, right? Your mind is involved if there's intention? I'm thinking about stuff. It's not just that I'm moving. Okay. Right? So, again, your mind is a processor. Okay. Okay? So it's processing information. That's all it does. Okay? What you're doing is you're going to move that stuff. So your intention as a as a person receiving the healing, this is different, by the way, than somebody's intention as a practitioner, which is to have no intention except for to be the trigger. Okay. Right? So I'm not going to tell you where you need to go. I'm not going to tell you what you need to get out of this event. I'm not going to, or this healing. I'm not going to give, put my stuff on you. You're going to tell me what you're going to get and you're going to do the work for it. Right. I'm going to be the guide that shows you where and where, where it is and where you need to go. That's, that's my only job. Show you where and show you where I need to go. Okay. So beyond your website, where do I learn more from Ari? Um, you could go to any of the podcasts that create a new tomorrow. Uh, they're all on YouTube as well. If you want to see the video version or um, any one of the podcast places, the things. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for opening minds. I've heard it said that your mind is like a parachute. It works better when it's open. So um, I think that's part of what we're doing today is just presenting a new way of thinking. And are you training people in this, by the way? That is eventually my goal. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, and thank you for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, it, it's been enlightening. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. He said, in order to change, people need to become aware of their sensations and the way that their bodies interact with the world around them. Physical self-awareness is the first step in releasing the tyranny of the past. Today, I invite you to expand your understanding about the language of trauma so that you can live an authentic, joyful, purpose-driven life. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self-esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed, A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller, You Got This, an action plan to calm fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.